Good morning. Good morning. It is great to see you guys. I am so grateful that you are here in this space this morning so that we can worship our Lord together. Thank you for being here. Um, as always, let us take a moment to prepare our hearts and our minds for worship. Let us make a space for the Lord to be welcome in this place and that we might see him and hear from him this morning, that he might renew our hearts and refresh our souls. Let us read from Psalm 113, verses 2 through 3. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Will you praise his name this morning? Will you rejoice and be glad because he is good? He is good and he is worthy of our praise, and I am confident that he's going to meet us here and he's going to speak to our hearts today. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come into this space, we take a moment and we welcome you here. Come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, and have your way among us today. Lord, our hearts are, are heavy and weary. Lord, there's so much going on in the world. A lot of it is just ongoing, and, and it's just feels, it just feels like a lot. And so, God, we recognize once again our need for your strength, our need for your peace that keeps us hopeful and waiting for the good that you are doing in our midst. So, Lord, would you just speak to our hearts, encourage us today, and God, we are here to worship you and to praise your name. You are worthy of our praise. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One, two, one, two, three, four. Please stand. Turn to 
when we see you we find strength to face the day and in your presence all our fears are washed away because when we see you we find strength to face the day and in your presence all our fears are washed away to 
Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior, I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in judge and our defender suffered and crucified forgiveness is in you descended into darkness you rose in glorious life forever seated high I believe in God our
that we will rise again for i believe in the name of jesus amen you may be seated this morning As we continue in this attitude of worship this morning, let us pray and let us open ourselves up wholly to our God this morning. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. And we thank you for the truth that is in these songs that have been on our hearts and on our lips this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in you. As I think about all of the chaos that is all around us, and as I just think about the overwhelming pain and hurt that is among us and unfolding in our, in our, maybe in our communities, in our homes, in our cities, in our country, and certainly in our world. Lord, as I think about how heavy these things are and how complicated and and painful it is to hear about everything that's going on, I am grateful this morning that I am reminded of the hope that I have in Jesus. And certainly there are times, Lord, when we look around and we just wonder, God, where are you? How much longer do we have to watch this? Lord, how much longer will we have to suffer and watch others suffer? Lord, we are tempted to despair. We are tempted to believe that you are not present in and among us. But this hope that we have, I'm thankful for this hope that we have and how it keeps us going. When it feels like all hope is lost, we are reminded of the hope in Jesus. We are reminded of the promises that are found in Scripture that you will make all things new again. We anxiously wait for the day when the tears will be wiped away, when we won't have to wake up and watch pain unfold in us and all around us. We anxiously wait for the day where our loved ones and our fellow human doesn't have to suffer anymore. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to instill a hope within us that helps us not to give up, that helps us to not lose hope. I pray, Lord, that we would have a faith that in accordance with Scripture is sure and confident even in what we cannot see. Lord, when we are wondering what our faith is even in, I pray that you would just show up in real and and tangible ways so that we can be reminded that our faith is safe when placed in your hands. You're worthy of our trust. 
help us, Lord, to see the ways in which you are working around us. Because God, where there is destruction, where there are ashes, what the enemy took and meant for evil, Lord, you turned it for good and you redeem and restore what was broken and what was lost. So help us, Lord, give us the eyes to see the new things that you are doing in the midst of the chaos and the pain and destruction. Help us, Lord, to be your church that is a part of the new thing that you are doing. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in our call to point others to the hope found in Jesus. Lord, I pray that when the world looks at us, the church, that they would be able to see you. God, as we open up your word, would you speak to us? Open up our hearts. Holy Spirit, reveal the truth to us today. And we pray all of this confident in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, last week we were in John chapter 17, and and what we talked about last week was going to carry on into this week's sermon topic as well. And so last week we, in, in John 17, we read what we called Jesus' priestly prayer. And in this prayer, at the beginning of the chapter, we see Jesus praying for his disciples. And he's praying for them that after he's gone, that they would continue to remain as one, and that they would continue to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, and that they would continue to be faithful to their calling. And then Jesus moves from praying specifically for his disciples, and he begins to pray for the future of the church. He begins to pray for you and I. You and I are covered in Jesus' prayer in John 17. Within this prayer last week, we talked about how we can see a couple of things, but we saw primarily that Jesus is praying for our oneness, our togetherness, because Jesus knew something that we are often forgetful about, and that is that we are better together. We need community. We need one another in our walk, in our journey And so within that prayer for togetherness, within that call to community, as we are going to look at this week, is a call to unity. That that as we are journeying together, you and I, the local church, the global church, that we would journey together as one, remaining united as one. Let me just quickly remind you of, of a few verses that Jesus prayed in this prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me and and through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. 
And so last week we talked about community and we talked about how the antithesis of community is individualism and kind of what plagues our togetherness is this idea that we have to be alone and that we have to journey alone and it's just me and Jesus and even though Jesus is in me and with me, I recognize the need for others in this journey. And so we talked about how the antithesis of that community is individualism and if that is true, then today let us acknowledge that the antithesis of unity is division. If something is not united as one, it's broken. It's divided. It's no longer one. And I think that division has long been something that has plagued the church and it continues to be an issue. We see division unfolding in scripture, when the church is born, we see that, that there is this, you know, mountaintop moment in Acts chapter 2, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful, and we imagine it, and we picture just how incredible that moment must have been, and it's like we turn the page, and, and a few pages later, and bam, there's division, There's things that leaders within the church can't agree on. There's tensions between Jews and Gentiles. There's tensions between different leaders within the church. There is is tension as, as members of the church experience a difference in belief and interpretation of what Jesus said. And we see these conflicts continue to develop. And I just have to remind us that they've never really stopped developing that we still see these conflicts and this division today. Over the years, over the course of history with the church, this has often resulted in churches splitting, denominations splitting, breaking off from one another to go and begin a new faith community, a new denominations. Our new denominations are often a result from this division. If we can't agree... We can't see eye to eye. Let's just split up. Let's just go our own way. And let's continue to surround ourselves with people who only look like us, think like us, believe like us, act like us. That'll make things better, right? And I'm afraid that even that hardly scratches the surface of what we've seen unfolding in the past few years in the church. Over the last five years or so, especially the year and a half, I just feel like this division within the church has been highlighted more and more. I see Christians most of the time over social media, behind screens, attacking one another, coming after one another. I've seen friendships split up all because of a difference of political opinion a difference in in how we vote, what our ideologies are, how we interpret something. This division has, has found its way into the church and it's been deeply troubling. If you pause and think about it, it's deeply troubling. It seems like today the church is, is primarily known for, at least this is in my view, I, I don't know if your view is the same, but in my view it seems as if the church is primarily known for what we are against and who we are against before we are known for our love and compassion and understanding and patience for one another. 
It seems that there is less and less space for things like patience and understanding and listening and hearing and compassion and and dialogue. Instead, I see more and more of, of heels being dug into the ground and these lines that are further drawn between myself and those who who don't believe like me or those who have have caused a conflict or those who have hurt me. And this should burden us. This should absolutely burden us because we have to know that this is not attractive to the world. That if this is is what we look like, that I'm afraid we've lost our saltiness. People are not thirsting for Jesus when they see this within the church, this division, this hostility, this animosity, And it should burden us. Before we get too far in, let me just go ahead and name what you're probably feeling. Let me acknowledge what you are likely feeling right now. And that is that this is really difficult. That it's really difficult to expose the not-so-pretty parts of the church. It's kind of like your family you know how all families have, have drama and, and troubles and issues, and, and I can certainly vent about my family and the troubles and the drama, but as soon as someone else does it, I am defensive, and you will not talk about my family that way, and I don't want to hear what you have to say. I think it might be similar in the church. When we begin to hear things that we don't like, we get defensive, and maybe it's painful because we recognize that as individuals, we make up the church. And so when you start criticizing the church and pointing out the flaws of the church, it actually is painful for me because it feels like a criticism against me. And all of a sudden, I'm wondering the blame that I need to accept. It can be painful to admit that we have perhaps dimmed our light at times and not remained as one as Jesus prayed we would. And I understand that it's painful and it's hard and we might feel defensive, but I just have to say that none of it is going to get better if we continue to pretend like it doesn't exist. If we don't call it out and acknowledge it, it's not going to get better. The absolute best thing we can do is to open ourselves completely, to humble ourselves as a community, as a local body, as individuals, as a global church, humble ourselves, open up ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, even just pray this with me really quickly, search me, O God. Examine my heart, O Lord. May we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear that we too may have dimmed our light and we may, t- we may have returned or turned away from our first love and we may need to repent and acknowledge where we've been divided and broken. So on that heavy note, let's stand this morning and let's look at something that Paul shares with the church in Ephesus that can go along with this idea of of unity and what it ought to look like, reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, 
one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope when you were called, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul is covering a lot of things, not, not necessarily things that we will address or, or acknowledge today, but, but a lot of this seems to be in response to what's currently going on in the church in Ephesus. And there are portions of the letter that contain praise for the church and, and things that are going well. Paul acknowledges and praises the church for the things that are going well. And then there are portions of the letter that contain specific direction and lead from Paul, and then there are portions that are more theological, but then after that, there are other parts that speak to how we ought to live in response to the theological things like their salvation and what Jesus has done and their calling. So for instance, chapters one through three are a reminder of the church's new identity in Christ. You you are no longer the same. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then Paul pivots, calling them to lean in and to live into who God has called them to be. Here's the truth, and here's what it means for you now. Here is how you should live in response to this truth that you now know. And so Paul, he tells them in verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, therefore, that's the therefore, then in response to what you have heard and what you now know, the truth, I now urge you to live this life worthy of that calling that you have received that was explained earlier in the chapter. And then he goes on to explain kind of what this looks like and what it means for us. In verse 2, he, he describes the traits that Christians ought to exhibit within the body so that the result that we see in verse 3 is the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Here's the truth. Here's what you've been called to and who you've been called to be. We get this little bit in verse 2 that we're going to totally break down. Here's what that looks like, and here's why. So that you can be seen as one, united as one. So let's break down just what those qualities are that Paul mentions and what they mean for us today. Just to recap, he says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Let's talk about that word humble for just a moment. The Greek word that Paul uses for humble is a really long word with a lot of letters, and I'm not even going to try to announce it to you this morning. I've got it written down, but I'm not even going to try because it's really complicated and it won't matter. But, but the meaning of this long Greek word is, is essentially an inside-out virtue produced by comparing ourselves to the Lord rather than to one another. And it sounds great, and it sounds like a given, right? That sounds like something that should come naturally, that I should naturally compare myself to the Lord before I start comparing myself to others. But depending on who was reading and listening to Paul, that word humble would have been considered a derogatory word, something that was not desirable, because what was desirable was power 
and importance and prestige and kind of lording over rather than coming alongside and recognizing that we're on equal ground, but that's really what we're invited to do when we are called to be humble. We're invited to this upside-down way of living that puts myself on equal ground with others. Humility in this way means being cooperative rather than combative or, or comparative or competitive. And we all know that the opposite of humility is pride, right? And I think sometimes when we're tempted to feel prideful, I think sometimes what's behind that prideful facade is this fear of being seen as weak, insecure. I'm afraid that people will see that I'm struggling in some way. In my pride, when I recognize my pride, sometimes it's because I'm unwilling to admit my own weakness and my own shortcomings. And so in my pride, I'm looking for ways to make other people feel inferior because it makes me feel better about my shortcomings and weaknesses. And so we, we panic. We cover up. We, we hide behind things like success and intellect and wealth. Sometimes I see this transpire and, make a, and manifest in ways like sarcasm or harsh joking with other people to kind of tell, tear them down so that I feel superior. But the, the contrast to this, I like how Dan White Jr., he's an author I've quoted many times, I like how he notes that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane does the complete opposite of this, what I just explained. When he is, as White says, embarrassingly vulnerable. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane could have been described as embarrassingly vulnerable. He does what you normally wouldn't see, especially in a man. I'm not trying to, to even be sexist or anything, but, but men during Jesus' time would have never done what you saw Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that is inviting others in to witness you at your weakest moment. Jesus brought his closest friends and followers with him into the garden. They, were, they had a front row seat into Jesus' most difficult moment. Take a moment and just imagine that. Jesus is overwhelmed and beside himself in the garden as he wrestles with what is ahead and as he humbly asks God for another way. If possible, Lord, let this pass from me. Jesus is, is devastated and he is physically suffering as he is thinking about what is coming. And his closest followers and friends are watching every moment, or actually they were invited to watch every moment but they missed it because they were sleeping. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus invited them, them there to see him at his weakest moment. Who does that? Who really does that? Who invites people in to watch at their weakest moment, to, to witness their weakest moment? Jesus does that. And in doing so, he reminds us what humility ought to look like. Paul goes on to say, be gentle. Be completely humble and gentle. We know that word gentle as also meek or mild. But understanding the meaning of that Greek word that is used is that gentleness is a divinely inspired, grace-filled response toward others. 
It's not to be confused as weakness, but instead it's a God-filled and God-inspired strength. Anytime we're addressing conflict, and let's just acknowledge, we address conflict. We are going to have conflicts in our relationships. We're going to have conflicts within the church. We are going to have conflicts with the people sitting in the seats next to us at some point in time if we haven't already. Conflict is is inevitable, and we are going to have to face it. But anytime we are facing and addressing conflict, we should always do so with a spirit-filled and spirit-led gentleness and respect toward the other person. And let's just acknowledge that a lot of people, instead of addressing conflict head on, because that's uncomfortable for a lot of us, I'll be the first to admit, I hate conflict. But I've also learned that it's not healthy for me to just cover it up and bury it and pretend like it doesn't exist. Because then when we do that, we're going to see that those feelings don't go away, that bitterness doesn't go away, that pain and the hurt doesn't go away. And so then the feelings are going to come out in roundabout ways. We're going to start to be passive aggressive. And we think that well, I just won't avo- I'll avoid the conflict. I won't address it because I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to cause any, any tensions. And so we ignore it. We stuff. We cover it up. But it's going to find its way out. And in return, the person that you are, are not addressing or acknowledging, they're going to notice that there's something there. They're going to feel they're going to feel those negative feelings come from you, and that's just going to leave them feeling confused and hurt and unsure what to do next. I would argue that this covering up and avoiding is really the very opposite of gentleness and respect because you're actually disrespecting that person in the long run. And I see this a lot in the church. I, I can't help but think of one time I was a brand new youth pastor at a new church and I was still trying to figure out, you know, who was who and, and learn names and faces and families. And a few weeks after I arrived at this church, apparently I was in Target one time and saw somebody from the church, but I didn't acknowledge them. I didn't notice them. And I think they like waved at me from a ways away, but I didn't see them. I, I honest to goodness, never saw the person. And so then my pastor, a few days later, my pastor comes to me and he says, you know, so-and-so saw you at Target the other day and you didn't acknowledge them in any way and they just didn't have good feelings about that. And so you might want to be careful and acknowledge people because that was really hurtful to that person. And all along, I was just sitting there utterly confused at what was happening. I thought, why couldn't that person just come to me and, and tell me that or, or just casually say, hey, I saw you at Target, and then I would have said, oh, I didn't see you at all. I felt hurt and confused by that, and then from then on, it was like there was a tension there that was never addressed or a- a- acknowledged, and it, and it deeply damages relationships within the church. So Paul says, be humble, be gentle, and then he calls us to patience. And again, the, the meaning there is a divinely inspired patience. Are you noticing a trend here? Are you noticing a theme? It's a divinely inspired patience. I love how one commentator said, we are called to an enduring, unweariable spirit. I love that. 
Let me say it again. We are called to an enduring, unweariable spirit rather than a swiftness to avenge wrongs or be declared right. But instead, we are hopefully looking and waiting for the best in someone. There's a strong hopefulness implied with this word patience. It's one that looks and waits expectantly for reconciliation and restoration to come within a fractured relationship. Because a lot of times when there's tension, when there's conflict in relationships, we want it to be resolved immediately. We're not very patient. We don't like waiting, and it causes further tension. And then we're, we're tempted to just shut down and to completely cut ties with that person who either hurt me or maybe I hurt them. And so instead of relationships being restored and renewed, they're fractured and broken sometimes forever. Within the church, keep in mind, all of this is within the church context, but this happens in the church. I have talked to so many people over the years in ministry who confess the ways that the church has hurt them, the ones that they least expected that kind of hurt and pain. It came from within the church, and that is a hard pain to reconcile. That's a deep pain to reconcile when it happens within the church. And so while we're waiting for reconciliation and restoration within those relationships, patience asks of us a Christ-like endurance and willingness to wait, hopeful that restoration and reconciliation will come. And it's implied that I'm probably going to have to address the conflict in a gentle and humble way, right? In a sense, patience is about believing the best in someone rather than assuming the worst. Oof, we're really quick to assume the worst in someone. Oh, that person hurt me, and they hurt me so good. And they, I just, they are not who I thought they were. Well, they are not as close to God as I thought they were. They are not as, as a good of a Christian as I thought they were. Patience asks for us to believe the best, confident and hopeful that God is working in the lives of the people of his church. I'm sure grateful. I don't know about you, but I am sure grateful when people have been patient with me when I haven't been at my best. (laughs) And as I shared with you moments ago, the best was not always believed about me, and I understand how painful that is. And so you probably also understand how painful that is when someone didn't believe the best in you, when you weren't at your best. And so that ought to teach us then that, that maybe I shouldn't believe that someone's intentions were implicitly wrong or, or directly implied or that they were what they weren't. And finally, Paul calls us to bear with one another in love. And this may be the most difficult, I don't know. But, but that word forbearance or to bear with one another means to persist, keep going, to hold up, and to tolerate. And I would say this in the light of knowing that we in the church, whether it's local or, or global context, that we are not all going to look the same and act the same. We're not all going to vote the same and and believe the same about every single situation. We're going to interpret things differently sometimes, and we can't demonize one another because of this. 
We can't, again, assume the worst about somebody because they don't do things exactly like you do. See, being a part of this global church means understanding that God has called a diverse people together to bear with one another despite differences. Unity does not mean uniformity. And it's probably not God's ideal community when everyone thinks, looks, acts, and sounds just alike. In the midst of all of it, we are aiming to reflect God. We are aiming to be the light in the world. And we are tempted to withhold value from those who don't shine their light exactly like we do. We, and we can unintentionally communicate a lack of dignity to somebody in doing that. And this is contrary to how we've been called to live. And it's contrary to how Jesus lived because Jesus communicated and modeled that every living person was made in the image of God and therefore they are worthy to be seen and loved and respected and accepted, understanding that God is going to be the one to change people. I'm not the one that's going to be able to change people. I have to love them and let God do the changing and the work that may need to happen in someone's life. And so Paul sums all of this up. And he explains why we're called to this unity and this way of living. And Paul says, listen, this is important because just as there is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, to one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, just as these are one, so you are to be one. And this ties perfectly in with Jesus' prayer that just as, as Jesus and the Father are one, so he wants the church to be one. Because when we are one, when we are united, we are better reflecting the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And just as there was unity within the Trinity, there should be unity within the church. And let us not forget that while we are working to be unified, as we are working to be one, we have to remember that it's the Holy Spirit that births this, this unity within us and sustains this unity within us. You notice a the theme in all of these four characteristics, right? They're all divinely inspired, spirit-filled humility, spirit-filled and led patience and gentleness and, and forbearance. These are things that we can't do alone. I can't accomplish these things alone. Instead, it requires the active work and transformation of the Holy Spirit. And it's me submitting to that work and that transformation of the Holy Spirit within me. And, and a lot of these things reflect the fruits of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians 5. But we can't do this on our own. And when we try, we will fail miserably, and then that's going to lead to the disunity and the division that we see within the church today. But there's hope in all of this. There is. I know it's a little bit of a downer, and I do think that we need to create space to acknowledge where we've allowed ourselves to become divided on a global level, on a, on a global level, and on a local level within our own church, within our own relationships, within the church. But the hope is this, 
The hope and the promise is that God is sovereign. He's over all. And he continues to work over all. And Jesus is near. And that, that, near, that nearness and persistent presence is working in and through all. Through all. I'm going to believe that Jesus is working in and through all, even those who don't necessarily live this thing out the way I do. I'm going to believe that Jesus is working in and through all. And the promise is, finally, that the Holy Spirit is in all, helping us to accomplish this unity. I appreciate how scholar Robert Mounts puts it. He says, while unity itself has no power to convert, It opens the channels through which God's redemptive love flows out with a unique ability to heal and restore. So my final kind of question for us as a whole is, is this what the world sees when they look at the church? In your view, is this what the world sees when they look at the church Do they see an overwhelming unity and oneness and love within the church that opens up the channels through which God can work redemptively and God's love is seen and flows out, healing and restoring people all around? I'm going to invite the praise team to come back at this time. And as they do so, I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. And I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to open yourself up to the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit as I ask you these questions. Lord, as we think about what we have heard and what we've read from Paul's teaching, Lord, we need to allow ourselves the space to pause and acknowledge that at one time, or maybe even presently, we have or are contributing to this division within the church. So Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts. I ask you, church, to prayerfully consider this morning. Can you think of an unresolved situation within the church where your love was offended or exhausted and the unity was broken. Lord, speak to us. Are you, as a, as a Christian, as a member of this body, are you quick to listen and slow to speak? Are you slow to post? Are you slow to condemn or assume? Are we slow to be defensive or are we quick to be offended? Have I said or believed something about someone that damaged a relationship for good? Lord, speak to us. Reveal to us. Did we at one time or another shut someone out when we were hurt or let down? Is there a a conflict going on in your relationship with, with someone in the church right now where God might want to restore, but that's being hindered by your pride and rejection? Lord, speak to us. Reveal to us.
Have I assumed the worst in someone just by looking them up and down one time and I've believed something about them that was hurtful? Have I assumed the worst in someone based on the way they vote or speak out or based on how their life doesn't look exactly like mine? Have I removed their worth and identity by assuming the worst in them? Lord, speak to us and reveal to us. Have I been the one who was hurt by someone in the church who I dearly loved and respected? And do I need to go and address that conflict with someone so that we can be reunited and continue together as one? Lord, speak to us and reveal to us. Do we, the global church, the big C church, do we need to own and acknowledge the ways in which we have refused to love one another and therefore our light was dimmed? We were a little less salty than we should have been, than we should be. Lord, if any of this is true, then we repent and we will do what is necessary for reconciliation and restoration to take place. Lord, let it start with me. Let it start with us. May we, Belleville First Church of the Nazarene, be a united people. May we be a part of a global church that is seen and known for our love and our unity first. Lord, would you continue to speak to us and guide us this morning? Amen. Please stand and sing this song with us this morning. Draw me close to you.
draw me close to you. Never let me go. As we sang in that song a little bit ago, I believe in the Holy Church. I believe in us. And I hope that I didn't come across as, as condemning or criticizing. I just think it's important to acknowledge when, when something might be working actively against us and the enemy is, is using us to not work together to further the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We're naive if we think that that's not happening, and so I think it's important for us to acknowledge, but at the end of the day, I really believe in us. I believe in the church. I believe that God is still working in and among the church even despite our failures and our shortcomings. And there is nothing Nothing broken within us and among us that God cannot redeem and restore. We just have to humble ourselves and open ourselves up to that. When I think about the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper rather, I can't help but think about the division that, that was very likely present among the disciples. Right There was 
we see in scripture there's so much confusion and a lot of times when we don't understand something that kind of comes out as you know frustration expressed to others there was confusion there was arguing of who's great and who's the best who's first there was pride there was competitiveness and in the midst of all of that Jesus is is actively praying that they would be one those, those disciples, they were living in this in-between time of Jesus was there, but, but all that he was doing had not yet been fulfilled or accomplished. And so they're in this crazy in-between time trying to figure out what does it look like for us to be one, as Jesus has said. And then here are you and I. Here we are, and like the disciples, we're living in this in-between time of Jesus has already come, but he's coming again and we're waiting and we are in the in the midst of confusion and the hardship and chaos we too are still called to come together as one we are called to lay down ourselves for one another and this is only possible when we can come to this table humble, broken and repentant recognizing our need for Jesus to fill us so that we are able to go and better live into this unity that he has called us to. So this morning, before we receive the elements, I want us to pray and to repent if we find that we come to this table with prideful, resentful hearts. And let us be aware if there is reconciliation that needs to take place. So pray with me. Lord, today we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and repentance and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, Lord, and on these, your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. May your Spirit make us one in Christ Jesus one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Does everyone have communion elements? If not, we will get those to you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, on the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, at supper, he, he took some bread, and he broke it, and he blessed it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant that is poured out for you and forgiveness of sins. He said to take this and drink in remembrance of me. So brothers and sisters of Christ, this is the body of our Lord that was broken for you. Take and eat and be thankful. And this is the, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. May you take, drink, and be thankful this morning.
Thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you will continue to move in and among us. And we pray, Lord, that reconciliation would take place where it's necessary. Lord, would you continue to open up our hearts, help us to humble ourselves before you and before one another so that we can continue on in love, pointing the world to you, and may they look at us and see Jesus when they look at the church. We pray all of these things hopeful in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen and amen. Well, before we leave today, let me share with you some announcements. Uh, there's a lot going on, so just bear with me as we share all of uh, these things with you. So we've been talking about life groups, as you know, um, and we believe in community and we believe in togetherness, and that can often uh, be found in a life group. And so um, just to let you know, we have four active groups going on right now or that are going to be going on in a few weeks. And two of those groups are kind of what we would consider to be full. And by full, we mean that we think that once a group reaches a certain number of people, it's not really what it was once intended for, which is to be an intimate space with, with maybe, you know, eight to ten people is, I think, an ideal. And so once it gets to that 10, 12 mark, it's just a little too big. And so because the two groups that have kind of been going on all spring and summer are at that point, um, those groups aren't necessarily open. However, there may be space for them to break off in the future and kind of start as smaller groups again with new people as new people come, hopefully. So I say all that to say, I don't want you to be confused because there are two new groups that are launching and that are beginning uh, this week and in September. And so we want you to be aware of the two groups that are available if you are interested in, in joining a life group. And this is based on who was willing to facilitate a life group, okay? So as more people are interested in hosting and facilitating, we will have more groups to offer in the future, hopefully. Um, but for now, this is what we've got. So there are two groups that are meeting, and the information for those groups is in the foyer, okay? So you can sign up if you're interested in one of those groups. Um, the one group is facilitated by Ron and Susan Place. If you guys would kind of just wave your hand right here in the front. Um, if you would like to talk with them about what their group is studying and, and what that looks like, you can talk to them and they'll let you know. And the other group is going to be hosted and facilitated by uh, Brett and Stephanie Frankhauser, who I don't think are here today, right? Um, but we can get you the information for that group. Theirs doesn't start until September, uh, but the places is going to be starting off Tuesday. So if you're interested in one of those groups, please sign up. Yes. What's that? A week from Tuesday. Okay, thank you. A week from Tuesday is when theirs will be signing up or starting up. So let us know which group you're interested in, and they'll get you that information. You're going to write your name and phone number down on that sheet in the foyer under which group that you would like to join, and we're excited to see um, what's going to come from that. Okay, so um, the second thing we want to remind you about is, is coffee with um, myself on August 31st, which is Tuesday. We had a great turnout last Monday, and so I'm looking forward to that again. This week we'll be at Panera Bread in Fairview Heights if you're able to join us at 9. That'll be at 9 a.m. Next week, we want you to be aware that um, Yoli Pacheco is going to be here, and we're going to have a combined service with the Hispanic Church, and we're going to be able to um, listen to, to what she has to offer us, Yoli, and, and her ministry. It's going to be fun for all ages, so the kids will be in here with us. We ask you to invite um, family or, or friends or neighbors, and there's going to be something for everyone, and we're excited for that combined service with them next week. 
Uh, we want to let you know that the Restore Network is, is doing a, a diaper pull-ups and wipe drive, wipes drive uh, during the month of September. So we have a big plastic bin in the foyer if you would like to buy those diapers, pull-ups, and wipes. Those are all going to go to Restore Network, all sizes um, of all of those things, okay? And that's going to be for the month of September. Also during the month of September, um, every February and September, we collect for the Alabaster offering. And we'll share more about you know, what that's about and what, go, what that goes to in weeks to come. But just be collecting your change. If you need a box, the boxes are in the foyer to collect some change. And then we will bring that and, and um, give uh, that last Sunday of September, I believe. We want you to mark your calendars for Saturday, September 25th. At 11 a.m., we're going to have an all-church fellowship at the park, okay? Who's excited for that? I'm excited. That's going to be a great time together. Everyone's invited. You can invite anyone you'd like, but this is going to be an all-church fellowship at Swansea Kingdom Park um, in Swansea, and so all the info is in the foyer, and we'll kind of share more with you in the next few weeks. And I saved uh, one special one for last, um, one that, that we're all not excited about and kind of, you know, just dreading, but um, as you all know, our governor has updated the mask mandate for the state of Illinois, and so that's going to take effect tomorrow, and in accordance with that mandate, we are going to be asking uh, that beginning next Sunday that everyone would please wear a mask to church when you're inside the church building, Um, and we are just hopeful that together we can pull together and just do what is necessary as, as our numbers are kind of spiking and surging a little bit and our hospitals are getting a little little full. And so we're hopeful that if we can do this, um, that those numbers will come down and that we won't have to do that forever uh, or for very long. But we just want to be uh, compliant with what is asked of us as a church. All right. Um, and I think that is all to share with you today. So I invite you to stand this morning. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would be united as one, as a body. Go in his love. You are dismissed. Have a great day.